I always believed that it wasn't what the college gave to the student, but what the student got out of the college. And I still think today you're eligible for a fabulous education at any college if you're ready to make the commitment and take from it. There are some great professors out there that really want to share, but you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And uh, I told my kids, you know, if you're just going to go sit in class and, and listen, you know, you're wasting your time. You got to go in class and listen. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality. And that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast, where Mark Murphy sits down with Frank Giantomasi, managing partner at CSG, a renowned law firm. With over 40 years of experience in real estate, development, and litigation, Frank is a leader in complex transactions, urban development, and planning. Fluent in multiple languages, including Spanish and Portuguese, Frank's honors include Best Lawyers in America, New Jersey Super Lawyers, and NJBI's Power 100. In this episode, Frank shares his insights on leadership, teamwork, and the intersection of business and politics. He delves into the secrets behind creating a cohesive law firm culture, the power of transparency, and the importance of consensus building. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast, uh, the Hero of the Hour podcast. And I am so excited today to bring my very dear friend, Frank Giatomasi uh, to the podcast. Welcome, Frank. Pleasure. Pleasure once again to see you. Always start with the same question. I always say, tell me some of your heroes. And, you know, uh, I always have people on the podcast who are heroes to me or are heroes to other people. And you're certainly a hero to me. But I want to know who's a hero to you and why are they a hero to you? Well, you know, I I, I like the the... The, the hard knock story. I like the uh, the the hard scrapple group, the the, the claw up, because uh, I I just think there's a lot of character that's developed on that uh, on that trek. Uh, so I, I I always like the uh, the less fortunate that makes the uh, the big effort and comes up. I I remember my dad always telling me that there were more presidents of the United States not from Harvard and Yale. Than from Harvard and Yale, so I it it, it 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 was imbued in me when I was a young man to value uh, hard work and people that uh, took the tougher road to to make it to where they had to get to. So I I, I think that's my that's my preference. If I had to pick a, a side of this tale, I want to tell. I think anybody could Google you and find out you were the preeminent attorney, not only in New Jersey but in the country for. You know, everything from real estate, uh, de- real estate development, uh, zoning. I mean, anything about around real estate. And I think that's fascinating. But I think it's more fascinating to me is 
there's a few other things that were fascinating in your life. And I'll, I'll start with, I'd, I'd like to explore some of those things. How do you take a law firm and how do you take a law firm and make cohesiveness of partners who can leave at any time for any reason, you don't have non-competes, and build a firm that has such great culture and is just growing, not arithmetically, but geometrically, and having a place that nobody wants to leave. They just want to come in there. You, you become the hunted, not the hunter. How, yeah, how did you do that? Well, we 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 took over management of this firm uh, during a tumultuous moment when the the prior uh, uh, premier partner uh, was under investigation and indictment, and the uh, the headhunters were surrounding a firm of a hundred lawyers that were excellent craftsmen, and um, there was a, a true leader, and he was in trouble. And what we saw was my partner Jeff Chiesa and I. We saw a great opportunity. We saw that. Um, we needed to insert ourselves to lead, but the prior group was uh, was proud to say that they were led by a benevolent despot, and that was the uh, that was the hallmark of the prior firm. And we decided uh, early on that what we had to do to provide that cohesive spirit and to bond together was that we took the partnership uh, that was essentially non-equity. Mark, they were all. Uh, service partners, excellent attorneys that that weren't given the opportunity to truly become owners of a business. And we had to educate them that owners of a business meant that you didn't get a guaranteed 5% raise every year. You made more money if the firm made more money, more of a corporate uh, effort. So what we really did was we turned around and we said, we're going to issue one share of stock to each equity member. And so I, as one of the, uh, the leaders of the firm, own as much of the firm as does the youngest equity partner. Uh, now, we vet the partners pretty well uh, to make sure that we're all on the same uh, trajectory in terms of attitude and co- co- cohesiveness and camaraderie. And, and you know, we believe in a family first mentality. But we found that, that immediately uh, when we gave everybody an equal share, it made them feel that they had an equal voice. And that's where we get consensus. Now, remember, Mark, consensus, you never get 100%. Uh, so you have to tolerate some, some, uh, some people sometimes that may disagree. But if you can provide a, uh, an atmosphere that at least people feel that their voice was heard and was equal to the other voices, um, we think it's been working. Right now, we've grown the firm by about 85 lawyers. We're 187 lawyers today. And we have growth in our future. We, we're we're going to grow again this year. We're not going to stop. And we are being uh, considered attractive, Mark. You're right. People are desiring to come here because um, they feel that um, that their thoughts and their, their opinions will be valued. And sometimes that's the most important thing. You know, it's not always in the paycheck. And my last comment on this is I say all the time, if if our if our connective tissue is only a paycheck, if that's what tethers us together, we don't have a business. We need something. We need that mortar joint that holds us together. And um, that, that, that consensus building is what holds us together. And I've had many of my partners come into me and say, I disagree with the decision. But you know what? I was given an opportunity to participate, and the issue was presented in a transparent way. Um, so I, I think that's what we are doing. And I, th- I think that's what's bringing us to where we are. I heard this from uh, two of your partners. One I had lunch with yesterday who should be nameless. Okay. Uh, and 
you know, I, I think you can talk on one level, you can take a look at all the amazing clients you have, the who's who of everybody. And you could look at that and look at the firm on that basis. But I heard a story from two partners who said that when you came on and took over that firm in transition, in distress, not one partner left. Actuarially, Frank, that's almost impossible that somebody didn't leave just randomly or retire or do something. The fact that 100% of the people came on, that's all you need to know about that as a place to work. We we provided them with a vision of the future that they took a chance on. And you're right. Um, we didn't lose one partner in that transition. That's, inc- that's impossible. That's that, I mean, It's almost if I didn't know it was true. I'd almost call BS on it. It's like it's impossible, but I, I know you did it. Well, look, it, it takes – you ready for this, Mark? It takes a lot of time and effort to make sure that your partners feel valued. And and I have a, a, a thing about leadership. Um, I believe that if you truly are a leader, you have to care and you have to show that you care. It's not enough to just you know uh, talk it. You've got to walk it and you've got to be out there. And you've got to make sure that they understand that I do care about your troubles and your problems and your issues and your opinions. And here's how we're going to counterbalance it. Now, I'm also the first one to say, come on in and argue with me and just <laughs> prove me that I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to change real quick. Uh, and I've I, I reversed course on, on a couple of issues. My partner, Jeff Chiesa, who's my, you know, my, my, my partner in this whole venture, uh, he is the reasonable man. And so we're never afraid of uh, a mutiny or afraid of uh, people departing because we always say, if you can find equal... Go ahead. But I, I don't think you're going to find equal. We're really giving a forum, which is a whole different concept than law firms, Mark. Law firms were always run by a, a tight-knit group that were paranoid that their juniors were going to steal their business and <laughs> steal their clients. And um, we've opened the door and we've let the sunshine in everywhere. And transparency is our, our key. What do you enjoy more? There's, I think there's two roles when you lead a law firm like this. First of all, I think for anybody that does not know Frank, he is a the, the word force of nature is uh was would uh, would be an understatement of who he is. But to be great at your job, you have to be a great prime minister, but you also have to be a great king. And I don't mean king in, in the sense of being a despot, I mean a king in that you have to do all of the the, the inspirational stuff and the and the the motivational stuff and being being front and center. Which part of the job do you enjoy the most? Or what do you enjoy the yeah. least? So, so I've always been um, um, a good lawyer, enjoyed right. the, the, the craftsmanship. And um, I also uh, felt that I had an angle or an attitude about business that, that I was always a profit maker. I, I really, you know, what does that mean? It means I, I did what I had to do. And uh, it incorporates what you're talking about. It incorporates going out there and selling the story, not only to your clients, but to your teammates. And and look, there there's... We're the largest law firm in New Jersey today with boots on the ground. There are a couple of firms that are bigger, but they're regional with multiple offices. But in terms of one single house with the number of occupants, we're it at, at, at you know, 180, 178 uh, on any given day. But I've got more non-lawyers in the firm than I have lawyers, assistants, paralegals, clerks, uh, people to, to handle food, hospitality. So you've got to be cognizant of that, Mark. That you, you know your your audience is uh, is is multiples of people, and so I do enjoy that part. I enjoy, if you want to call it the salesmanship, I enjoy the uh, the interpersonal. I enjoy the interactivity of it. I enjoy the explanation, and um, 
the hardest thing is to uh, is to make them feel comfortable to come forward and discuss an issue, either in an open forum or in a private forum. I had a partner come to me yesterday and said one of the other partners is scared or embarrassed, but he doesn't understand what's being done on this particular issue. And he asked me if I would ask you uh, for an explanation. And I said, well, did you understand it? He said, yeah, but my explanation didn't satisfy this person. And I said, will you tell me the person's name? And he said, no, I'm sworn in secrecy. <laughs> and so this is really hard. But okay, so I was doing a third-party sales pitch. I was <laughs> going to explain what was going on. And, you know, it took about 10 or 15 minutes, but the other partner said to me, I missed that part. I knew it was good. I appreciated it, but I missed that part. And I'll tell you what the part was that he missed. The decisions have to be we decisions, not me decisions. And that's what he missed. He, he didn't understand, and then he was going to go explain to the other partner this decision is not being made for the best interest of Frank or Tommy or Bobby or Bo. This decision is being made for CSG, the enterprise. Mark, you do it every day. When you make a decision for yourself, it can be terrible for your business and for your comrades. When you make a decision for the enterprise, right, it could be terrible for you, but it will be good for the, the masses because everybody will benefit from a weed decision. I think the other one said, what expression we always have is the good ones tell, the great ones ask. And I think the idea is that people, you know, it, it's so much more powerful when people discover together what the right decision is. And it also makes it much easier for it to stick. And I, and I know you do that at that firm. I think that's one, one of your many uh, magic secrets. You know. Well, I, I, I like people and I like to hear their story. And I absolutely uh, think that people uh, surrounding me are smarter than me and, uh, and, and maybe as able physically, but perhaps even better physically than I am. Um, and maybe that's called being humble or maybe it's just being called smart. Uh, because I recognize that that to be a good leader, I've got to be part of the group. You know, I learned a long time ago, you know, the general eats last, right? You know, he could demand the, the filet mignon, but he'll take the bacon or the scraps so long as his, his forces are, are eating first. I believe in that philosophy. Um, maybe I could have made more money in my life. But that's not my my hallmark. I, I, I don't I, I don't think making money is the, the ultimate test of success. I think uh, reputation and and um, affiliation and um, my life is it, it will be sad for me to retire, Mark, just like for you, because I know you very, very well, because we've been so relevant in, in our day to day activities. Um, if I were to go and just sit and listen to the Yankees or go and play golf and come home and have dinner and go to sleep and wake up the next day, I don't know if I'd feel relevant, but my interactivity with the people, um, whether they're working for me or, or, or on the other side of a deal, that's what makes me come alive. It's the relevance of my life that, that uh, keeps me going. You know, the thing, I, one of the reasons I think we're, you're my brother from another mother is that when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you're always in creation and fascination mode. So you don't shut it off to just, you know, do nothing. I mean, the, the, you, can you imagine you and I being in Florida, going to the dry cleaners, making dinner reservations and thinking no. that alone was the 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 panacea of our existence? Or <laughs> No, the, the no. Other, the other thing I also see connection, because you, you study people and I study people I admire and I study people that I like and successful people like yourself. 
And the one thing I notice is that we, you and I are both givers. We always give, lead with our giving arm. When you're yourself, the reason that at our age, we have more energy than people half our age is because it takes very little energy to be yourself. It takes a lot of energy to be somebody else. I know how much I weigh, Mark. <laughs> and and, and I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed that I'm 20 pounds overweight. And I don't walk around all day saying, <laughs> I wish I were taller. I wish I were slimmer. I'm pretty content um, with myself. Um, and, and somebody may listen to this podcast and say, oh, what an ego he's got. He's content with himself. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just the opposite. I think my best days are when I realize exactly who I am and what I'm doing. Um, so I said to you before, I, I tend to surround myself with a lot of people that I think are smarter than me um, and that are, are as hardworking, if not more hardworking. Um, and Mark, I'm going to say something else, which I know is, is true in your case. My intimacy with my clients has led them to become my friends. I, 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 I really, that's the care that I have. Uh, I, I care of true friendship. I don't just say, well, he's paying me X and that's what I'm going to do. I really am invested in the problem and the dilemma. And so I am creative to solve problems. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth. And in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. I know in 2017, when Governor Murphy was elected, you were named to the transition team. Yes. And, you know, we could talk about, you know, the, the transition team and the work Governor Murphy did. But I think much more interesting is people watching this podcast. Why is politics important to them? And why should politics be important to to people that, that are that are living in New Jersey and running businesses and raising families? Why is politics important? should be important to people watching this? I mean, it's a great question. And it's something that I've thought about uh, often and explained in the following fashion. There is an intersection. And that intersection is the two roads, business and politics. And if you don't know how to manage that intersection, you're going to have a crash. And that means you're going to have a failed business. But if you know how to manage that intersection, um, you can have a successful business. You won't have a crash in that intersection. Think about everything you do in business and tell me what business you have that isn't having a, uh, an interaction or an intersection with government. So understanding government facilitates business. That's the way I see it. I'm not one of these guys that 
that uh, worries about big government or small government. I just accept whatever the government is. Tell me the rules and let's play by the rules. Um, I was honored to be on Governor Murphy's transition team. I've been on other county executive transition teams and mayor transition teams. I was the former county council in Essex County for 15 years. And that gave me a basis in government that uh, has set the standard for how I'm going to operate and what I'm going to do. So um, I just went to a bill signing the other day, um, right, right, you know, that the governor was doing uh, about, you know, these incentives for for movie theaters, uh, movie movie production companies. I apologize in New Jersey. Um, it's a great incentive. But if you don't understand the government and, and how to work within the government framework, you're never going to build a movie production company here. You've got to have the money, the business entrepreneurship, the investment and the ability to manage the government requirements and restrictions. One of the things I, I think that people misunderstand, they, they say that people get involved in politics only to get something for themselves. And I think what I've seen you do and what I try to do, because I stay involved myself, is you try to give in that the people that are running the government, whether it be local or state or federal, they can't know everything about everything. So you try to lend their expertise so that they can get information and make common sense decisions that can support the greater good. And look, I, and, I have yeah. a client right now that we're, we're working. It's a, a form of elevator, a pneumatic elevator. And the government changed the laws on, on home uh, installation for private homes. Uh, and these elevators are, are very reasonable and very, very successful. And um, it, it's causing a temporary prohibition of pneumatic elevators in homes. Now, when you're older and you're in a wheelchair, you need help. Believe me, if you could get a pneumatic elevator in your house, you want it. But the governor, governing people that made the change didn't understand the impacts. And um, I was retained not to be a lobbyist, but to just bring the reality of, of what the impact was and then say to the government, do you think this was the right course? Well, now this government is, is on track to do an amendment and a modification. Um, so that's going to help. And, and I didn't see it as just helping the business that retained me. I was thinking about, well, those poor people that are wheelchair bound or, or you know, can't climb stairs and uh, the help that they're going to get from an, a cheaper alternative. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it, it works that way. You can, you can really uh, enjoy the day and really not just solve client problems, but solve constituent problems that are on large scale if you can interact with government. Yeah, I wouldn't share this if you hadn't shared this kind of publicly with so many people. Yeah, but you know, I, I, people who, who who don't know you intimately know that in the last couple of years, you've survived two incredible accidents. You were, I, you know, people don't know Frank was riding on a very very steep hill with his grandson on a bicycle. Yes, and uh, the the brakes failed, and he should have been killed. Yeah, and then he was standing on a Newark street and got run over, thrown in the air by you know I don't know how many feet. I saw the video. It was yeah. you should have been dead, but you survived. Yeah. So I, I say two things, you know, only the good die young. And uh, if you're a cat, you only have seven lives yet left. And you're some kind of Superman. You're not a, we already knew you were a Superman, not an ordinary um, man. But but the question I was going to say, the question to me is, has that changed how you think at all? No, or, or is it? No, I, it's confirmed my thoughts. Okay. I, I, I always thought that um, you should go out every day and, and, and live your best life. Um, and there's no epiphany. From, uh, you know, I was paralyzed for, from my neck down for a period of time after the bicycle accident. 
And I thought I was going to be wheelchair bound for the rest of my life, but I had a miracle surgeon and a, a miracle recovery. Uh, and then I got hit by cars standing on a sidewalk. Uh, so I, I'm one of the few people that, that I, I know that has broken their neck and a part of their back or, oh. you know, twice in 18 months. Um, but no epiphanies, confirmation, confirmation that my attitude of always saying, I'll try to find out. You know, my daughter once said to me, Dad, people call you at random hours and they ask you for these random things and you never say no. You always say, let me get back to you or I'll try my best. And I said, Gemma, I, I've called many people back and say it's impossible. It can't be done. But they appreciate the effort. Um, I, that's part of my DNA. But guess what, my friend? It's part of your DNA, too. Um, so uh, that's why I think we like one another so much, because, you know, we met and it was kind of kismet because we both have the same operating system. Whatever, you know, 0. 0.20 or 0.30, we've got a good operating system that uh, lets us share. And I will tell you, I I, um, I read a book a couple of years ago, referring back to something you said. It's called The Go-Giver, G-O-G-I-V-E-R. And every year I give five or six copies out to people. And I say, I read this book and it, it, it told me that my life is in the right path. Read it. And many people have come back to me and said, you're right. And it's a good book. It's just about giving, you know, and it's it, you don't understand how it comes back. Well, I always say that the mitzvah, the gift is in the giving. And uh, you're not a just the joy is and that, that's the great joy in being able to give. You know, you mentioned you know, you didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Harvard either. But we've been pretty successful people. If you're somebody watching this podcast and you didn't go to Harvard, tell people kind of where you where you know how did how did that story start and how did you, how did you, how did you evolve to that? You know, I, I don't we don't have to go through every year, but I, I think just you know what would somebody take away from this that says, you know, if Frank can do it, if I had if I have the same work ethic and the same discipline he did, maybe good things will happen to me too. Well, I, I wish I could have gone to Harvard. I have great respect for an Ivy League education, so there's no short shrift there. Um, I didn't have the opportunity uh, economically, familiarly, and um, I sure as hell didn't have the SATs to get me into Harvard. <laughs> but I, um, I took advantage of every opportunity that was presented to me to learn and expand. I never shrugged it off. And um, I always believed that it wasn't what the college gave to the student but what the student got out of the college. And I still think today you're eligible for a fabulous education at any college if you're ready to make the commitment and take from it. There are some great professors out there that really want to share, but you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And uh, I told my kids, you know, if you're just going to go sit in class and, and listen, um, you know, you're wasting your time. You got to go in class and listen. And um, I'm proud of my children and their educations. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. Uh, whatever modicum of success I've had, I employ 350 people. Um, I make payroll. I, uh, I try to be uh, I try to be philanthropic every year or every day. And um, I will attribute my uh, my success in large part to uh, a good, solid Jesuit education that taught me about the common good. It was the first thing I learned in college in the first semester about the common good versus the individual good. And I still profess that if we work hard for the common good, um, we're all going to rise. You know, that that tide, Mark, it, it, it rises all the boats. It doesn't just rise one boat. So uh, I believe in the common good.
one of the things I was looking at the other day myself as I was looking back at some of the guesses and some of the bets, best bets and best guesses I've made over 38 years of my business that helped our business, you know, really, really grow and explode. But I, I, I sometimes, uh, you know, forget that I also made some other decisions that I took a shot at that uh, did work out so well. But I always go back to the fact that if I didn't try the stuff that failed, I never would have tried the stuff that worked either. I, com- I completely and, and, yeah. listen. I've done such diverse things. Uh, I opened an ice cream store once. Don't even <laughs> ask me why. But I, it sounded like a great idea, and um, you know, it was a, a fair idea. <laughs> I had a lot of opportunities that I took advantage of. I I founded a commercial bank in New Jersey in 1985. Mark, I was 30 years old. I don't even understand where I got the chutzpah because I just thought it was a natural thing to do. And I was I was the fourth largest investor in a commercial bank in 1985, uh, which was the largest commercial bank at that time financed in the history of New Jersey. It made the Wall Street Journal. Um, so I've had some real good ups and I've had some uh, some bad downs, but I was always in the game. You can't win it. Unless you're in it, you got to get in the game. If you're just going to see, I used to sit around the table and listen to my father and my family, and they all were would have, should have, could have guys. Uh, you know, I should have bought this. I could have done that. If I had bought that, you know what I'd have today? And I really remember that those conversations saying, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to sit there and say, I would have, I could have, I should have. I'm going to get involved. And, and so it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of work. And um, I w- married a, a, a wonderful woman who was very supportive and um, helped me make a life that's been pretty comfortable for us and for our kids and now for our grandkids. And we're all pretty proud of what we do. Beth Israel Hospital, you're the chairman of the board. You're giving back to the community, communities in the community that, that you grew up in. Share with people, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what, what type of work do you, do you do at the hospital and, and why is that important to you? Well, Beth Israel Hospital always was the standard uh, for me as a child growing up in Newark as as the premier hospital. And when I had the opportunity to be on the board, I never dreamed I'd become chairman, you know, 10, 11 years later. And now, you know, working in that hospital and ensuring that our charitable mission is is maintained, that we're not just there for the, the patient with the best insurance or the most money, but we're there with our clinical programs trying to uh, to deal with general health care and the education, it, it, it fulfills me every day. I mean, I don't go bowling. I don't go fishing. I'm not a big <laughs> golfer. Uh, I put my free time into my volunteer philanthropic work at Beth Israel Hospital. And uh, there's only 11 hospitals in the United States that have done over 1,000 heart transplants. Transplants. Wow. And Beth Israel is one of them. So my mission right now, Mark, and I'm so happy you mentioned it, is to make sure that Beth Israel Hospital is no longer the best kept secret in Newark or in New Jersey, and that it becomes on the same level as a Cleveland clinic or a Mayo clinic, because we have that kind of medicine being practiced there. I was there today for my stress test, and uh, I was very proud of what what the people do. So um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in it. Um, my wife and I just made a, a large philanthropic gift to the hospital to put our money where our mouth is and show everyone that we want to continue to support the hospital. Um, healthcare is a tough thing, Mark, today. It's a really tough thing. And when people call me and say, Frank, uh, my daughter's got a, a tumor or my son's got a diagnosis, my sister-in-law, uh, it gives me great pride 
uh, to then call the CEO of the hospital, call the different disciplines, the doctors that are in charge. And if we can't take care of them, make sure we get them to the right person. Because a lot of people just flounder in, in, a, in an ocean of, uh, of uh, health care and they can't, can't you know, seem to make their way to where they want to get to. So uh, it's a great opportunity. Thank you for bringing it up. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to help something charitable, help a hospital because their margins are tight and very tough. I don't know if you put it in this words, but another observation I've made about you as an example, we do represent some, I'm an NFL registered player financial advisor. So we have some NFL athletes and these, these people who have performed in sports at the highest level and maybe at 28 or 30 or 32, their career is over and they're retired and it's a finish line for them. And one of the things that I, I observe about you is that if I sat here, I could read your biography. We'd spend the entire podcast just reading all the all the accomplishments you have. And so, but I think the thing I find very fascinating about you is there are no finish lines. There's only milestones. That's it. Yeah. No, listen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I I believe there is no end. How's that sound? Me too. Um, I'm going to go until the end. I'm not going to be that guy that dies at my desk. Right. But I'm going to be that guy that dies trying to help people. And I mean that and, and, and help them, whether it's for a fee or help them in a philanthropic fashion. Uh, I just maybe I should learn to play golf and slow down a little <laughs> bit, but it's just not it's not the right thing for me. I don't have that temperament for it. So uh, what do I think is the number one thing that we can do? And you see it with all the divisiveness and politics today. I, I think it's all very, very simple. I I. Uh, I've been listening to uh, former governor Chris Christie and, and his words of unity and trying to bring people together and trying to uh, uh, explain that this thing is not that hard if we all work uh, on the same uh, page. And I think that's where we have to get to. I think we're in a temporary moment of divisiveness. And I think that once again, the American spirit will prove true. We'll all bond together and we'll move forward because I think there's a lot of guys like you and me that are out there. And I think they find us. And they they want to follow us, and uh, maybe they'll call us heroes. Maybe they won't call us heroes, uh, but at least they'll know that we made the effort. I think you answered the last question I was going to ask. As a guy who advises some of the most successful people in the country, and 350 attorneys, and is a you know as a mentor and a and a consigliere and counselor to all, I was going to ask what do you advise people, and I think that uh, that's something about as well as possible. Stay but, in the game. Thank you for. Uh, Thank you for taking time. And uh, thank you, Mark. Appreciate ha I, appreciate having you in my life. And and likewise, and look forward to uh, seeing you when you get back from your trip. Thanks so much, Frank. See you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. 
OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.